You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's topic, what it means to be students of the game and entitlement tilt. Hey, BJ, how you doing today? Hey, Dell, I'm doing pretty well. Anything exciting happen to you this week? Uh, well, I, I didn't lose this week. I, I've been winning this week. It's been a good week. I, I've Okay. I've won uh, several buy-ins online this week, which is, you know, I'm playing micro stakes, so it's not like that's a lot, but it's better than losing. So, uh, you know, feeling good about that. How about yourself, poker-wise? Well, poker-wise and life-wise have kind of intersected. I just closed on my second investment property Friday, played at Maryland Live Saturday, and won enough for a mortgage payment. Not bad. (laughs) So things are looking up. I am planning just to let people know Poker winnings is not a viable strategy to finance real estate. It's a good idea to have tenants. So I'm planning <laughs> on getting tenants. That's that's in the plan, in the so, cards, so to speak, if you will. Yeah, I think for that, the time uh, being, I think that it, it's important um, to anybody listening to this. If you're ever wondering, um, like, what right BJ has to tell anybody about poker? Uh, yeah, BJ has uh, financed the down payments for his rental properties with poker so and he usually uses poker to pay off his it's an Audi, right that is right and i'm uh i i occasionally use uh poker to pay off a payment on my rolls can barely nice nice so all right you know, but so, um so this week we want to talk about entitlement tilt right no well, we wanted to talk about why we're doing this first like yeah. what it means to be students of the game there was a few people that you know um, wanted us to give more reason why we're doing this. And uh, we had originally wanted to do it and thought, well, it wouldn't have much value. But the response of, you know, uh, people saying, hey, we really want to know why you're doing this. It, so, yeah, we want to answer that question. When you say we, to be fair to the listeners, that was me that questioned, why should we do that? Let's just jump into a topic. And I apologize. I'm not a professional podcaster yet. This is our second time. I should have listened to you. That was a good way to start. So we're doing it now. All so, right. Excellent. On this day, the 30th of May, 2021, BJ said Dell was right. Okay. Yeah. Marked on the calendar. <laughs> marked. Marked. We'll celebrate the anniversary every year. All right. So what does, all right. So, so what is it for poker for you? Why, why are you doing this? Why are you playing? Why are you podcasting about it? Yeah, What's so, up with you, Dell? So I've been thinking a lot about this. All right. You know, so. First of all, I'm going to start off with um, the non-altruistic reasons that I'm doing this. Um, If uh, I am presenting myself out there as somebody who can offer something on how to play poker, then I need to make sure that my application of good sound poker principles is uh, being applied to my game, you know. Um, so I do it because it's going to make me a better poker player, you know, so I do it because it's going to be, make me a better poker player and it's going to force me to go into my studies even more. You know, I have an obligation if we do this every week to make sure that I know what I'm talking about, you know, um, and I won't always, and just for the record, I, I won't always know what I'm talking about. There's going to be times I'm going to say something and I'm going to think I know what I'm talking about and Smarter people are probably going to tell me I'm wrong. 
And the beauty of that is it means that if I can take that criticism, I can take and turn it around and learn from it and make my game better and make myself better as a human being. Now, there's a there's another reason I'm doing this. Like I have um, I have paid professional poker players to coach me. And while I was paying them, every single one of them has always gone above and beyond what what the original agreement was. They've always done so much more for me. And um, there's even been times when without being paid, they've gone out of their way to help me become a better poker player and a better person. So another part of this is, is that, you know, I want to take and carry that on. I want to do that for other people. So that is a large part of why I'm doing this. And the last reason is doing this podcast gives me an excuse once a week to hang out with one of my favorite poker persons. So, um, you know, those are my reasons for doing this. Excellent. How, excellent. How about yourself? Um, I share a lot of those same reasons. And I'm sure at some point we'll do a future podcast episode about ego and its place or lack of a place in poker. Because like you mentioned, if you're putting yourself out there, and that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. I mean, this is being open and vulnerable, right? It's we are putting ourselves out there. I am not professing to be an expert why people should listen to me. Okay. You mentioned I do finance some things with my poker winnings, but in short, people don't need to listen to me. I do not have credentials. If people are expecting me to tell them what to do, what not to do, to spoon feed them some kind of process or strategy, I'm not necessarily going to do that. What we will provide, what I hope to provide are lessons that I've learned over the years and my perspectives on topics, which will likely grow and evolve as these conversations grow and evolve. The whole point about talking about these things is so we can get better at the subject matter. I think you can't honestly say you understand something unless you can explain it and teach it to other people. I don't remember if this is apocryphal, kind of a Einstein quote, but if you think you understand like quantum mechanics, if you can't describe it to your grandmother, you don't understand it. So if we can't, if I can't, Describe something in a way that others can approach easily and understand and consume, then I need that feedback because that's going to help me grow. That's going to help me get better as a player. One reason I'm doing this is because you kind of convinced me this would be a fun idea. I wasn't sure initially. And in the past two weeks, I have gone full bore and I absolutely love it. I love the dynamic conversation. I even love the technical post-production audio visual stuff that I'm sure I suck at now, but we'll get better. But the thing I love about like the game itself is just the mental, emotional, social challenges it presents. It's such a puzzle. And I, I love solving that kind of puzzle. What do they have? What are they doing this with? Why would they take this action on the flop, but then do this on the turn and then this on the river, piecing those stories together? I love it. I love it. And being able to share. And I think you mentioned something that I didn't even consider as a real reason until you mentioned it. And that's like giving back to the community. Yeah, I've been a part of forums and poker schools and poker websites and chat rooms for years. And I've never really felt like I gave back to it. Never really felt like I had an obligation to um, until now. I, I really think that's kind of a solid reason. So I think that's a little bit about who we are. Uh, 
you know, one of the things that I want to talk about is what you and I are planning to do here, what we're planning to offer with this podcast. So let me start by saying that we don't plan on doing any hand breakdowns. Um, you know, first of all, uh, there's, you know, there's so many people out there doing hand breakdowns and most of them are pretty awful actually. And then, but the reality is there's some good ones. Uh, we're not going to do a better hand breakdown than Jonathan Little, you know, we're not going to do a better strategy segment than, you know, Andrew Brokus and Nate Mavis. We're just not, they, they've been doing it for many years. They're more skilled at it. So that's not something that we're really offering. And, uh, you know, the closest thing to what we're offering is probably done by Sky Matsuhashi. And the, the reality is, is his is pretty much focused on uh, micro stakes online play. And, and he's, you know, he's awesome. And if you are into that, you should probably listen to his podcast and you should probably, you know, join his uh, training site. Um, I'm not going to mention the name because he didn't pay me to. <laughs> but Not a sponsor yet. Sky, if you're listening, not a sponsor yet. You know, but there's there's a lot of great training sites out there that can help you with hand breakdowns and stuff like that. What we want to do is we want to present everyday poker issues, you know, and then we want to take and we want to present the solutions to those issues. And then we want to find the tools and present those tools to those issues. You know, and a lot of that is about application you know that that the tools part is is all right how do we apply this knowledge to our game and our life and that's another thing there right there's the last part is that bj and i both believe that poker makes us better people and when we get better at life we can become better poker players we think the two go hand in hand and we're going to be sharing a lot of that too so is there anything you want to add to that bj i cannot tell you how many times i have told my coworkers. I wish I was the person in the workplace that I am at the poker table. There are certain behaviors I engage in on the felt that were I to do it in a professional workplace setting, though it might sound weird, would actually be more effective and would yield me better results. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uncanny how the two are related. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely want to emphasize that point. So that's why we're doing it. And that's a little bit about the process we want to use. And that's, uh, you know, as far as who we are, we've shared that a little bit last week and we'll be sharing it more as we go on. Now we want to talk about entitlement tilt. And I think first, Del, we should probably explain what that is. Oh, yeah. So what Um, do you think it is? What do you consider it being? Well, you know, I mean, the the reality is, is that, you know, when we go through the world um, and like the word entitled in itself has has become uh, a bad word. You know, it's become a word that no longer has its original meaning. You know, if you were entitled to something, you were entitled to it. That wasn't a problem. You know, you work 10 hours today, you were entitled to your pay. And uh, somewhere along the line, whether it be through politicians or uh, just the way people look at the world, it became a bad thing. And now we have our entitlement programs, which used to be, you know, benefits (laughs) and uh, it's looked at as a negative word but in the sense of poker it actually does have a negative meaning because what happens is we tend to believe we are deserve something more or owed something more than the probabilities give us and 
the best example of that. And BJ is, uh, you know, our, our Dr. Origami, our, our poker anthropologist here, has done a little more study uh, this week. And this week it's been on aces. Better poker through science. <laughs> so while I was playing this morning and really just folding the vast majority of hands, which, by the way, you should be doing instead of limping, reference to podcast number one, I opened up Google Sheets and I did a quick experiment because there was a guy at our table who during the session had aces three times and he lost them twice and he was livid. The second time he lost, he slammed his aces face down on the table and he stood up and he marched away because he got stacked and he grumbled off. He didn't say good game to anybody. He didn't wish anybody well. He was just in a huff. And so here's what I did. I did a random number generator between one and five, because if you're heads up with aces, you have roughly an 80% chance of winning the hand if it were to go to showdown. So let me give you a random number generator and let's assign the value of one as aces get cracked. Two, three, four, and five, aces hold up. That's 20%. I did this random number generator for only 60 hands, six zero. And what I found surprised me. In the course of those 60 hands, around hand 42 or 43, the number really doesn't matter, aces lost three times in a row. The fourth time it won, and then it lost two more times in a row. Aces lost five out of six times. And you might think, but wait, aces have a 20% chance of winning. It should win once every five times. That's not how the law of big numbers works. That's not how probability works. Each instance is unique. The previous probability doesn't impact the future one. Just because it happened time one doesn't mean it's not going to happen time two, three, four, or five, because while I met my 20% quota, statistics doesn't work on a quota. So if you were to treat your lifelong live or even online poker experience as one giant session, occasionally punctuated by non-poker living, eating, sleeping, working, doing literally anything other than poker, you have one giant session. You are going to guaranteed get your aces cracked at least three times in a row and likely lose five out of six times. So where we say that we're entitled is the sense like Dell mentioned, we believe we deserve more than we ought to get. This is where I always mention this like happiness gap. And I mentioned it to my son and my wife when we were raising our son. This happiness gap is the difference between what is and what ought to be. What you think ought to be is that you win aces all the freaking time. Best case scenario, you win them, you win them four out of five times, hands down four out of five. What actually happens is you can very well lose aces five out of six times. It's guaranteed to happen if you play enough hands. So you got to suck it up. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. It, it's even it's even bigger than that. And, and we had a little bit of discussion about this earlier. What's being described here by you right now is a series, right? It's a, a small series event in the realm of what becomes an extremely large number. The number of hands we play over a lifetime becomes an extremely large number. And the more we play, the larger the number gets. The study of extremely large numbers teaches us that 
if it's possible, it's probable. See, what happens this year is where we get into this problem where we're like, oh, God, this is why the guy gets angry after losing with aces two out of three times. You know, he's angry and he's on tilt from feeling entitled because he doesn't realize that there are times that aces are supposed to lose two out of three times. It's not just possible. It's probable. All right. And this is this is the lie. One of the lies we tell ourselves as poker players is that, you know, we lost because they don't know that they're supposed to fold. You lost because sometimes aces are supposed to lose five out of six times. It's part of a series within a much larger number. Now, the more hands we play, the closer we will become to the mean of the actual probability <laughs> of, of uh, expected outcome which we know is 83% if you're all in pre-flop with aces, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, even in my 60 even in my 60 yeah. hand sample size, aces won pretty darn close to 80% of the time overall. It just so happened as as a happenstance that all the losses were glummed together. So you yeah. had three losses in a row, you had a win, two more losses, and I was like, "Wow, you had right. 5 out of 6 losing losing aces." Out of a small sample size of 60, right. I mean, so, but overall, it still was around 80%. So this is a good example of where, like, probably the most common, you know, entitlement tilt. You know, I have a big hand. I'm entitled to win. I do remember that uh, probably about a year ago, you and I had a conversation where you were frustrated because you had a big hand on the flop and everybody folded. and You, you were annoyed because you felt like you deserved to get paid. You had a big hand supposed to get paid with a big hand and me and about three other people said no bj when, when you have a big hand you you cripple the deck you know what i mean and that was another and that i think that conversation helped you in that process because like 10 minutes later you realize you know that's right and you no longer had that tilt from it and i think it goes even further than that there's there's so many ways we can get to that entitlement tilt for me the entitlement tilt shows up when i sit down at a table and I see the way other people are playing, and I know that I am a studied poker player compared to them. <laughs> you know, and I want to stress that it's a relative thing we're dealing with here. Compared to the other players at the table, I'm a studied player, and one of them stacks me, and I buy back in, but I'm already on tilt because I deserve to win. Because damn it, I studied. I didn't just, yeah. you know, I didn't, didn't read one book and show up here. I've been studying this and. How dare you beat me with that crappy jack four off, <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm not owed a victory, you know? Poker doesn't owe me a victory. <laughs> you know, the only thing studying does is increase my odds of winning, but it doesn't guarantee me a win. Right. So what can people do to help counteract entitlement till? I think there's one thing that you mentioned about the bad players who win. We need bad players to win. Okay, we hate it when they win against us, sure. <laughs> but we need bad players to win because it helps reinforce the bad play for other bad players. Here's an example that happened today. And I honestly think this guy was not joking. This guy goes all in post-flop with nothing more than an open-ended straight draw. He has no gut shot. He has no flush draw. He has six, seven. And he, he calls an all-in. He gets a straight on the river. And the guy who lost was actually pretty gracious. I've played with that guy before. He's gracious. No problem there. 
But the, the comments that the winner made, I found remarkable. He said, and I believe it's non-sarcastically, that he basically had a 50% chance of winning. Either he won or he lost. <laughs> As if the number of options equates the probability of each option. Look, we might all die tomorrow when the sun explodes because either the sun will explode or it won't. 50-50, dude. <laughs> you know what? There are two options. So I actually mentioned this at the table. I don't know if I was like needling this guy or making fun of him, but I was like, I said that. And the guy who lost completely understood what I was saying. He busted up laughing. But yeah, it's like, yeah, why we should just go all in every single hand because who knows if the sun's going to blow up tomorrow. Right. So I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think before we go too far down the that rabbit hole, that, that can be definitely, that could be a whole topic and a whole podcast in itself. I think that when we're talking about what we can do to avoid entitlement guilt, there's several things. The first thing is you're right. We need to be happy when a bad player beats us. And that's one of the hardest things in the world to beat. But when somebody plays badly and beats us, the problem is, is that what happens to most of us is we equate the chips coming our way is winning. That is not winning in poker because you can play badly and have the chips come your way. Winning in poker is making a better decision than your opponent. And if we can focus on, did I make a better decision? Well, then I won that hand. Yep, the chips may be going that way. The cards may have ran out in their favor, but I made the good decision. They made the bad decision. I won. And over time, those chips will come my way. You know, it's back to that whole one long session, you know. So we need to be happy when a bad player beats us because that's how they keep coming back to the table. You know, and the game dies, all right? It, 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 it ends up being just good players against good players. There won't be a game, <laughs> you know? So one of the other things is to learn to empathize with your opponents. So to put that in its proper perspective, why did the guy play 7-6, right? I need, to, I need to be able to understand why he did it and comprehend it. Because that allows me to put myself in his shoes. That one, first of all, makes it easier for me to exploit him as a good player. But the other thing it does is it keeps me from being all pissed off at him. Why did he play 7-6? Well, he's a gambler. He's not a poker player. <laughs> you know, he, you know, 50-50 chance. I either do or I don't. That's gambling thing. That's gambling talk. That's not an actual learned player. He's there to have fun. He's there to play hands. And he's going to, great, that's good for us, you know. Um, another thing is humility, you know. My my shortcoming is I don't have enough humility. That's why I think I deserve to beat those players that didn't take and put all the work in I did. I don't know what fucking work they put in. I don't know what work they put in. They may have worked just as hard as me. They might be better players than me. I might best be delusional, you know. So if I can have a little bit of humility, then guess what? I don't have to worry about entitlement tilt. And, and you know, the one thing we really haven't discussed here is what's it matter if we have entitlement tilt? Well, the problem is, is any type of tilt. When we go on tilt, that costs us money. And it costs us money because we're going to stop making good decisions. That's the thing. It affects our process. 
Because like you said, we can lose, we can win money by making bad plays. We can lose money making great plays. And when I log a poker session, yeah, I typically rate my session. How well did I play? A plus, you know, A, B minus game, whatever. But it's not like I'm measuring each and every hand. I'm not saying, okay, this hand I lost, but I made a good process. Oh, this hand I lost, I made a bad process. You know, it's hard to find the correlation between your process and your results. You almost have to take it on faith that the more studied and disciplined and focused you are, the more likely you are to make good decisions regularly, the more you're going to end up winning in the long run. But that's hard to measure. It's so much easier to measure your stacks growing and dwindling as a result of however the hand plays out regardless of whether it follows a good process. And that's a challenge. So now we've talked about what we think some of our solutions are. Um, you know, what are the tools in dealing with this? Do you, what tools do you use to deal with entitlement tilt? So I actually use a couple of tools. So I have a lot of processes in game to help me check myself to see if I'm in a good mental state. So. I'm sure a lot of other people do this at dealer changes, whenever the dealer changes. However, you don't have this on online poker. So I would recommend you set a timer for this, set an alarm. Like every 20 or 30 minutes, my cell phone texts myself. So I will send myself a text message and I'll ask myself a bunch of questions. Are you tired, hungry, thirsty? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? All these questions that aim at my physical and emotional state. And if, if any of them answer in the negative, then I need to get up and take a walk. Another thing that I end up doing is, and you can do this right at the table because you're folding a lot, right? You're not playing like, you're playing maybe 10% of hands, if that, you're dealt. So 90% of the time you fold. A real easy breathing exercise you can do to just center yourself and kind of focus and, and reflect and what I found is helpful, and you could probably find YouTube videos or something on this, is like either a four, seven, eight breath motion or like a box technique where, okay, you inhale like through your diaphragm for like four seconds, hold it for seven seconds, and then exhale for eight. I've done some like guided meditations where they do this as well. And the box is literally like you draw a box where you like breathe in for four seconds or five or whatever, hold it, breathe out, and then hold it there. And so you're doing this routine, rhythmic, calming exercise, and you can't help but not be pissed off after you're done doing this because you're focusing on your breath. I mean, you're focusing on yourself and it takes the attention away from the crappy player that just stacked you with six, seven. So those are two things I do regularly. The checklist that texts me every 30 minutes and the breathing exercises, those help. Do you do anything, Dale? I certainly do. Um, the first thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna talk about something I got from Blake Eastman. Um, and I highly recommend anything you can do with him, uh, especially with mental game. One of the things I do is instead of sitting there, berating the person in my head, instead of talking about in my head, this all goes on in my head, what they did wrong, how foolish they were, or how dumb they were, or, you know, how lucky they are, because, you know, they only win if they're lucky, right? 
what he taught me to do was to ask why they did that. It's not about whether or not the play was dumb or, or smart. Why did they do that? Because then I'm starting to get to know them. It goes back to that empathy for the my opponents. Why did that guy play 7-6 off? Why? And when I can get there, then and it's just that question. Why? Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Without judgment. Um, the other thing I do is, and this may not work for everybody, you know, but for myself, when I get stacked by somebody, I got stacked by somebody the other day who stacked me with Jack four off. And then four hands later, I got stacked because, and, and this is actually my fault, I had the ace high flush and I lost to a straight flush and I got stacked. And I didn't even consider the straight flush. So that's my fault. But when that happens, rather than sitting there and saying, you know, geez, this idiot just called with, you know, nine, seven suited when I raised four X preflop. All right. Better than that is just to sit there and go, it's, it's a good thing that I lost this player. You know, and, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. But I'll tell myself that 10 times over. It's good that I lost. To explain that, there's a lot of reasons why it's good to lose in poker. So for one, it's humbling. And I can use the humility. You know, for another, I don't appreciate the wins if I never lose. And I don't appreciate the wins if I never lose. And the most important reason for me, that it's good to lose in poker sometimes is because if I always win, nobody's going to play against me. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to play against if the If the bad player never wins, they stop playing. Well, eventually they go broke or they lose interest in the game. Um, right. One reason I think I'm okay with losing is that it's not so much a monetary loss as investing as a lesson. If I can glean a lesson from the play, then it's the cost of tuition. Yeah. So, I, gosh, I, I hope this helps somebody. I hope this helps somebody. I hope this makes somebody money. I hope it helps everybody that listens to this podcast that doesn't sit down at the table with me. No, I hope it helps those <laughs> that do sit down at the table with me, too. So let's be fair. No. It can help everybody. <laughs> all right. So do you have anything else? Nope, I'd, I think that's all for now. Yeah. So until next week, thanks for listening. And this is The Blind Stealing the Blinds. So your aces got cracked twice in one session. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But your bad beat isn't as bad as you think. And fewer people care than you think. So... Suck it up, Buttercup. Get back out there and play the best poker you know how.